I want to direct your attention to Luke chapter 3 this morning, verse 23 to 38. Luke 3, verse 23 to the end of the chapter. And the theme I've chosen for this passage is the name above every name. Or the name above all names. And a subtitle is Lessons from Jesus' Genealogy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we turn to you, the Eternal One, existing outside of time and yet working in time, the Creator of time, sovereign over time. What is man that you are mindful of him, the Son of Man, that you even give us a thought, Lord, your power is unsearchable, it is without end, and we come to you as finite creatures, bowing before you, the infinite one. You have no beginning and no end. Before the mountains were established, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We feel small in your presence, Lord, and come this morning, especially in hard times, difficult times, even in our church with people who are ill and suffering, people who are struggling financially, and many other trials. We bow at your feet, and we bless your name. Would you now come and open our hearts, you who possess the key to every man's heart. And we pray that you would penetrate our hearts with the sword of the Spirit and would help us to understand truth and then to respond with reverence and awe and obedience and love. Amen. A man in our church told me the story and then I found the article. He actually sent it to me <clears throat> more than a year ago and I reread the article on a tribe, uh, the Binyamarin or Binyamarinth, a tribe in Papua New Guinea. And what happened was these two missionaries, a husband and wife, Des and Jenny Oatridge, they went there and they were busy with the translation of the Bible in the people's language. And the man was, uh, Des was translating the Gospel of Matthew, but he'd left out the first 14 verses, the, the genealogy. <clears throat> and then when he was done with the translation, his wife said, you forgot to translate the genealogy. And he, read, he really did, he almost forgot. And he translated the genealogy, but thought, what will this really do for them? this boring passage of scripture, but he did translate it, and then his interpreter found this very intriguing, very important, very interesting, and he said, you must read that to the people, and so he did, and they were gathered in a house, and the house was packed, people were in, um, they were expectant, or expecting great things, and as he read 
the people's eyes widened and they started pressing in around him. And he thought he had said something wrong and was afraid that uh, perhaps now there will be trouble. Something's not right. He was afraid. And when he had finished the reading, they said, why didn't you, why didn't you tell us this before? Now we know, now we know Jesus is real and the Bible is true. It's not just um, white man's magic, this. Wow. You see the importance of a genealogy. And furthermore, Jesus needed to have a genealogy, not just to show that he's truly human, but so that he could be our Messiah, our Savior. Like in the Old Testament in Ezra 2 verse 62 <clears throat> and Nehemiah 7 verse 64, the priests, they had to have a genealogy. Otherwise they couldn't serve as priests in the temple. In the same way, Jesus had to have a genealogy. Otherwise he couldn't be our Messiah, our Savior. And there are many rich lessons from this genealogy if you take the trouble to really study it and meditate on it and pray over it. And I'm, I'm going to focus on that mainly today, to draw these lessons from Jesus' genealogy in the Gospel of Luke. So I'm not going to read the passage, it's a list of names, but I'm going to draw the lessons out. So number one, we want to see from this genealogy, it teaches us, number one, the Messiah. It teaches us Jesus is the Messiah. And as you know, through, throughout history, many people have claimed to be the Messiah. About a year and a half ago, I heard of a, a pastor in Pretoria who claims to be the Messiah, who said to people, he is the son of David. I am the son of David. And people throw their clothes before him as he walks up the church aisle. But as you and I both know, of all the people in all of history, only one, only one was the Messiah. He's the special one that God has chosen, that God has anointed. That's what Messiah means. God has anointed him to be our prophet, priest, and king. Now, in the Old Testament... Uh, priests started their ministry at the age of 30, just as you can see in the book of Numbers, chapter 4 especially, verse 3, 35, 39, 43, and 47. Um, so priests started their ministry at the age of 30. Ezekiel started his prophetic ministry when he was 30, Ezekiel 1, verse 1. And then Joseph in Egypt and King David both started their reign when they were 30 years old. Genesis 41, 46, 2 Samuel 5, verse 3. And now we come to our passage, Luke 3, verse 23. It says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. So Jesus now, as our prophet, priest, and king, starts his ministry as 30, uh, at 30. So, so he's our priest. He's our priest who offered himself, gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And also prays for us. He intercedes for us. He's our prophet who reveals the will of God to us. He's our king. He rules over all and he protects us against the enemy. And he's not a king like Zerubbabel or Zeribabel in verse 27 of this chapter. 
you see Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. Zerubbabel was just a king in name. He couldn't rule and reign as king because the Persians were ruling and reigning over the vast Persian empire. So Zerubbabel just had the name of king, but he was no king in the true sense of the word. Jesus, he's different. Jesus is not just a king in name. He's the true Messiah. He's the king from the line of David. He's the sprout from, or the, the branch from the root of Jesse, David's father, Jesse. Verse 31. The son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Metatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse says verse 32, and we've got all these promises in the Old Testament where God said to David, 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 132, 11 and 12, that someone from your line, someone from your, one of your descendants will sit on the throne and will rule and reign as king. Uh, and Isaiah 11 verse 1 says it's, it's the branch from the root of Jesse, David's dad. Uh, Luke 1, we saw this already, verse 32 and 33. The angel said to Mary about Jesus, her son, he'll be great and he'll be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. His, his bloodline goes all the way back to Adam, the first human being, in verse 38. The son of Adam, it says. And he's the one, God had said to Adam and Eve, he's the one who would crush the serpent's head in Genesis 3 verse 15. And it happened so indeed. 1 John 3 verse 8, the son of God appeared to break the works of the devil. So Jesus is more than an ordinary prince of Judah because there were other princes from the line of Judah. In verse 32, for instance, we find Nashon. He was a prince of Judah, says 1 Chronicles 2 verse 10. Jesus is more than that. Jesus is the great prince. He's the final prince. He's the final king from the line of Judah, as was prophesied in Genesis 49 and verse 10. Jacob on his deathbed speaking to his sons, and he says to Judah, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That is a prophecy that the final prince of Judah would come. The final king from the line of Judah. The great king. The Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah. Who sits at the Father's right hand as king and will rule until all his enemies are under his feet. Psalm 110 verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15 25. Jesus, king of kings, lord of lords. Do you have him? Have you acknowledged him as your Messiah, as your prophet and priest and king? Not only in theory, but in your day-to-day -day life, in your family, in your workplace, and in your thought life, and the way you spend your money and your time, and every other part of your life, do you acknowledge him as your prophet, priest, and king? Do you see him as your priest? <clears throat> Through whose death and through whose prayers you are acceptable to God? Or do you think like many other people, well, because I lost my temper today with my spouse or with my children or in the traffic, God will not hear me. He does not want to hear from me. I must first prove myself. I must make up again through my good works and 
read the scriptures enough and pray enough before God will accept me again. In other words, what you are doing is you're trusting not in Jesus, your priest, but in how well you perform spiritually. And even though you know in theory that good works don't save you, you act as if they do. You act as if your good works can earn you a hearing with God. Do you see Jesus not only as your priest, but as your prophet, who wants to, or who teaches you the will of God, who helps you to understand his word? Or is Jesus, is the teaching of Jesus by the Spirit and the Word not enough for you? Uh, for example, you cannot believe from Scripture alone that heaven is real. You must read the book of a little boy who had some experience of going to heaven and now you can know that heaven is real. It's so real. You do not accept Jesus' teaching of God and the revelation of Jesus is that God is your father. No, no, there must be another option, that God is an overweight mother that you read of in the shack. What about Jesus as king? Do you see him as your king that protects you against the evil one? Or do you believe that every sickness and miscarriage and break-in and accident, it is, it is the devil's curse upon you. It's a demonic binding that you must break. Someone has spoken death over you. This is Satan who has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. Is Jesus your king who rules over your life? Do you acknowledge him as such? By reading his word often and doing what he says because he's your king. He has spoken and you will listen. Because if you do not read his word regularly, then what you are actually showing and saying is you're not interested in knowing what Jesus says. You will live as you please. So you, you merely say that Jesus is your Messiah, but you do not live that way. Number two, the Son of God. So we've now seen Jesus as the Messiah. We see this from the genealogy. And now we see he's the Son of God. A Jehovah's Witness that worked at my sister's school said to her, you must read the Gospel of John and then you will clearly see that Jesus is not God. Jesus himself shows this and John clearly shows us Jesus is not God. Well, as a matter of fact, John, the Gospel of John proves the exact opposite. Jesus is God. Now the Jehovah's Witness will say, no, John says he's the Son of God. He is not God. But to the Jews, being the Son of God and being God was one and the same thing. That's why they wanted to kill Jesus for calling God his own Father, because they said, you make yourself equal with God. John 5, 17 and 18. They wanted to kill him in John 10, verse 33 and 36, because they said, you being a mere man, make yourself God, because he called himself the Son of God. Go and read that passage. Or in Mark 14, verse 61 and 62, the high priest asked Jesus, Are you the Son of God? And Jesus said, I am. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, That is blasphemy. So to the Jews, being the Son of God equals being God. Just like, just like saying, The Son of Man is nothing different than saying, You are a man. And so what, what John teaches us in his Gospel is, Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, 
<coughs> and he created all things. Through him all things were created, and nothing that we see, nothing that exists was created without him. Even the blind man who was healed in John 9.38 bows before Jesus and worships him. Jesus prays to the Father, Give me the glory that I had with you before the world was made. John 17.5 And we know very well from Isaiah 48.11 God shares his glory with no one. And so that can only mean Jesus is God. And so Jesus then is not merely a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in verse 34 of Luke 3. Jesus is also the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as we see in John 8, 58, where Jesus <coughs> speaks to the Jews in the temple, and he says to them the following, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Exodus 3, verse 2 to 6, The angel of the Lord appeared in the burning bush, to Moses. And when Moses asked, Who are you? He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so that is why Luke says in verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. As was supposed. People often said, He's just the son of Joseph, the son of a carpenter. But he wasn't. He was born. By a miracle of, by, of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. Jesus is born of a virgin. We saw that in Luke 1, 34 and 35. And so, so Joseph actually just adopted Jesus as his son. But he wasn't the biological son of Joseph. He's the son of God. Now Adam was also the son of God in a certain sense. Verse 38. The son of Adam, the son of God. But Adam was only the son of God by creation, like the heavenly beings. <clears throat> As you find in Genesis 6 verse 4, heavenly beings are called the sons of God, or Job 1 verse 6 and 2 verse 1. That's also why a verse like Acts 17, 28 speaks of unbelievers and actually all people and says, we are the offspring of God. It's by creation. But Jesus is the son of God in a, in a very different sense. Jesus from eternity, he has been the Son of God. He is born of God. He is generated by the Father eternally. He never had a beginning. He is, he is as eternal as the Father. He is the unique, the one of a kind Son of God. The only begotten of the Father. John 1, 14, 3 verse 16. He takes his life from the Father. But it, there's never a point where it starts. So in John 5 verse 26... Jesus says, As the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. 6 verse 57, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. Hebrews 1 verse 3, He is the exact imprint of God's nature and the radiance of his glory. And so that is why, because Jesus is the unique Son of God, that is why Jesus differentiates and distinguishes between His Father and our Father in John 20, verse 17. And yet the Father becomes, His Father becomes our Father if we believe in Him. To all who believe in Him, we have become sons of God. God has accepted us. 
Galatians 3.26 And if we are sons of God, then we are heirs of God, and we are heirs of the kingdom. We inherit God as our Father. We inherit the kingdom. Romans 8.17, Galatians 4.7, Matthew 25.34 Now, I believe that many Christians, many Christians actually have a too low a view of Jesus. So in theory, we understand Jesus is God, but in practice, we treat Jesus as if he is a few steps below the Father. <clears throat> so when we, think of, when, we, when we think and when we sing of this, this holy God upon his throne, or we see the judge that will judge the whole earth, who do we think of? We think of the Father. And then we teach our children about the little Lord Jesus, little Jesus. Or in Afrikaans they speak of Liva Jesus, loving little Jesus. It's a diminutive. And then when young people, when teenagers sing to Jesus, the lights need to be switched off and we have smoke machines and spotlights and we need to shout and scream and jump up and down you know because Jesus is cool you can almost see Jesus head banging with us so clearly they do not know the Jesus of scripture they have a very shallow theology and they do not know that Jesus said I and the father are one he who has seen me has seen the father so just as you fear God the Father and you reverence God the Father, you revere Him, you stand in awe of Him, you should do so for the Son. You should honor the Son just like you honor the Father. John 5 verse 23. You should bow with Thomas before the Son of God and say, My Lord and my God. Number three, the Son of Man. This is what we learn from the genealogy. Jesus is the Son of Man. Now, if you teach your children the Bible and you do so faithfully, there comes a point where one of them will ask, Who made God? You see, we, we, we just do not have this concept of a being that has no beginning. He was just always there. We cannot fathom this. We cannot grasp this. We cannot understand this. And what is almost more shocking is that this being became a man and he has a genealogy. <laughs> wow. Now the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke differs in different ways, several ways from the genealogy in Matthew. So in Matthew, the, the genealogy of Jesus goes back to King David. It goes through King David back to all the way back to Abraham to show Jesus is the king of the Jews. But Luke, he takes it all the way back to Adam in verse 38 to show Jesus is a historical person, just like the first person, the first human being that was made, Adam. And Adam was a historical person, as we see in this genealogy, or 1 Chronicles 1 verse 1. From one man God created all the nations of the earth, uh, in Acts 17.26, and then 
the parallels between the first and the last Adam in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15. So Adam is a, is an historical person and Jesus is an historical person. So, so for Luke, Jesus is not merely God, he's also the son of man. He's a real human being, goes back to Adam. And Luke loves that term, the son of man. Jesus uses it of himself. For instance, Luke 9, 22, 26, 44, 58. The son of man, the son of man, the son of man. But the son of man means more than merely that Jesus is man, he's human. The son of man is also a divine title. It's, it means Jesus is the Messiah. He's the divine son of man of Daniel 7 verse 13 and 14. And Ezekiel 1, 26 and 28. This divine being sitting on a throne. This divine being that rules over all the nations. Now, I don't mean that Jesus is a demigod, like in Greek mythology you find Hercules. A demigod is a god and a human being had sexual relations and then this creature was born, a demigod. Jesus is not a demigod when we say he's son of man and son of God. No, he's truly God and truly man. He has two natures, but he's only one person. He has a divine nature and a human nature, but he's one person, Jesus Christ. And it, it was necessary for Jesus to be fully God, fully man, truly God, truly man, so that he could take an eternal punishment on the cross in six hours on a cross, take an eternal punishment for the sins of millions, because a finite human being couldn't do that. But he also needed to be truly man so that he could die for our sins, because God cannot die. And Jesus will remain God and man forever so that he could bring the two together. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The man, but he's also God. And so Jesus' genealogy in, in Matthew and in Luke, here's a second difference. All the names from King David to Jesus' stepfather Joseph except for one name, Zerubbabel, and Shealtiel, his father. But, but all the names in Matthew and Luke differ there. They're different. Now, there's more than one solution, and I had it in my sermon notes, but I had to cut it for the sake of time. I'm just going to give you the solution I think is the best solution. And I think the best solution um, is that Matthew gives us the genealogy of Joseph, and Luke gives us the genealogy of Mary. And this is how it works. It's very possible that Mary's father, he's called Eli here, or Heli, in verse 23, Mary's father only had daughters. And so what's going to happen now is his family name is going to die out, and he's going to lose his family inheritance. And so to prevent this from happening, he follows what God, has, God said in the law in Numbers 27 and Numbers 36. God said that if a man has only daughters, what happens then is this man then, his, his daughters should marry in their clan, in their tribe. So what happens is the dad, he adopts his son-in-law. The guy's going to marry his daughter. He adopts him as his own son. And so what happens now is in this case, 
Heli uh, adopts Joseph as his own son, and then Joseph carries on the family name of Heli, and the family inheritance stays in Heli's family. He doesn't lose it. And so Matthew 1 verse 16, you read of Jacob is the father of Joseph. That's his biological father. But here in Luke 3 verse 23, Heli, he is the adopted father of Joseph. He has adopted Joseph as his own son. And so Matthew 1 is Joseph's family tree, and Luke 3 is Mary's family tree. And that's why you've got this difference in the names of the genealogies in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. That's why there's the drastic difference. But that's not the point. Uh, the point is that Jesus is truly man, because he had a genealogy. <laughs> he had a genealogy, and not only that, but he's truly the son of Mary. Mary is his biological mother. And Jesus' humanity then, it means that, that because Jesus is a human being, truly and fully, he understands exactly what you are going through. When people treat you badly, when people push you aside, you are not welcome in the company, people don't understand you, you are suffering pain at this moment, or you're sad, or you are tempted, or hungry, or poor, or tired, or you are emotionally, you feel emotionally drained, or you have to pass through death. Jesus understands completely. He was there. And so pour your heart out before Him. Cast your burdens on the Lord. He understands. Jesus understands. Number four, the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. This is what the genealogy teaches us. Just a week ago, a young girl said to me, I'm such a great sinner. I can't understand. How can, how can God just forgive me? Well, He can. And we see this in this very genealogy. We see Jesus save sinners. For instance, Nathan. And David in verse 31, it says, the end of the verse, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Now the Nathan here, according to 1 Chronicles 3 verse 5, this is one of David's children that he had with Bathsheba. Now Bathsheba reminds you, David committed adultery with this woman before. And David murdered her husband, 2 Samuel 11. And yet God forgave David because God himself would become man and he would die for David's sin. Romans 3.25 And it's on this very same basis that he saved a prostitute and a cursed Canaanite called Rahab. And we read this in verse 32. The son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah. Now Salah, there's another name for Salmon that you find in Matthew 1 verse 5. And who was Salmon? Salmon was married to Rahab, the prostitute, according to Matthew 1 verse 5. She's a Canaanite, Joshua 2. And God saved her. Hebrews 11.31 and James 2.25. And she's cursed, according to Genesis 9.25, where Noah said to his son Ham, he said, Cursed be Canaan, your son, Canaan. Canaanites are cursed, and yet God comes and He saves this cursed woman, this idol worshiper, this prostitute. God saves a liar, a cheat like Jacob, verse 34, the son of Jacob. 
You just read the second half of Genesis. Jacob, the cheat. God elects him. God saves him. Romans 9. God saves Judah. In verse 35 or 34. What's it? Uh, No, verse 33. The son of Judah. God saves Judah. Judah who slept with his... With his daughter-in-law. So incest. Commits incest. And his daughter-in-law becomes pregnant. And her son Perez is born in verse 33. Genesis 38. You can read the story there. So what about you? Are you guilty of sexual sin? Are you guilty of being a cheat? Of corruption? Of bribery? Maybe you've even committed murder. You've aborted an unborn child. Jesus can save you. Jesus can forgive you as these examples show. Jesus saves sinners. And he also saves from death. You just read this genealogy. The son of this. The son of this. The son of this. All these fathers and children and all the generations die out from Adam because because of Adam's sin. In Adam we all die. 1 Corinthians 15.22 Wages of sin is death. We all die because of Adam's sin. And our own sin. Romans 5.12 goes all the way back to Adam, verse 38. So are you afraid of COVID for yourself or perhaps for another believer? Well, when Jesus comes, He will raise His children from the dead. And He will give you a new body that cannot die. And, and Enoch was an example of this, verse 37. We read of the son of Enoch. Son of Methuselah, son of Enoch. Enoch is a man who didn't see death. He didn't die. Genesis 5 and Hebrews 11, verse 5. And that's just a small example of what will happen when God turns around death once more and He gives us eternal life. And then Jesus also saves Jews and Gentiles. So Obed, in verse 32, it says, Obed the son of Boaz. Now who was Boaz? Boaz was married to Ruth. And this is their son, Obed. Ruth is a Moabite. Matthew 1 verse 5, you see this. And read the book of Ruth. And then Salah in verse 32. As I already showed, he was was married to the Canaanite, the prostitute Rahab. Rahab is a Canaanite. That's not a Jew, it's a Gentile. Matthew 1 verse 5. And then Abraham verse 34. Abraham's a Gentile. He's from Ur of the Chaldeans. Genesis 11 31, Joshua 24, 2 and 3. But Abraham is also the father of God's people Israel. And so his descendants are all nations. All those who believe in Jesus, whether they're Jew or Gentile. All the nations of the earth will be blessed in Abraham. Galatians 3 says, Gentiles too are the children of Abraham. All who believe in Christ. What about Peleg in verse 35? Peleg, he's the man in his time, the Tower of Babel was built and God dispersed the people across the earth and divided them into different language groups. You read that in Genesis 10 to 25 and then 11 verse 9. And then the whole lot from Adam to Abraham. They're all Gentiles. They're not Jews. And Adam himself, verse 38, is the father of, of the human race. So the lesson is, Jesus died for people from every tribe and language and people and nation. He's the savior of all mankind. All mankind, 1 Timothy 4 verse 10. Now I want to draw three implications from this. When we say he's the father of all mankind, firstly, we don't mean 
universalism. We don't mean every single human being will be saved. Eternal life is only for those who believe. God so loved the world, yes, humankind. He loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe in the Son of God? Do you trust Him as your Savior and your Lord? A second implication I draw from this is, do not say, do not even think there will be some tribes and some nations and some people groups that will not be in heaven with you. Because you're a racist and you think they won't be there. Don't even begin to think that. This genealogy teaches Jesus Christ is the Savior of all people groups. And the third implication, do not think Jesus cannot save you. The only way it can happen that it's impossible for Jesus to save you is if you are not a human being. But you're an angel or a, maybe a baobab tree or a dolphin or something like that. Listen, if you believe in Jesus, He will save you. And then your name will be written in His genealogy. Not biologically, but spiritually. Isaiah 53 verse 10, we see Jesus would see His offspring. You will be part of His offspring. Hebrews 2 verse 13, Jesus says, Here am I and the children that God has given me. So are you one of His children? Is your name in his genealogy? Thomas, Jack, Peter, Sarah, Tiffany, Jennifer, Timothy, Jonathan, Melanie, Melvin, Amelia, Deirdre, the son or daughter of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord my God, oh May many find out this day. Even those who have listened to sermons elsewhere, read the Bible or come into contact with a missionary or an evangelist or read a gospel tract, may many find out this day that their names are written in the genealogy of Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God and Son of Man. Amen.